Welcome to the Rider Dojo with your host, Steve Diamond. Buenos dias. And Larry Correa. Whenever there is any doubt, there is no doubt. Today's episode, Supporter Spectacular, Round 9. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Rider Dojo. Glad to have you all back with us today. So I thought what we would do for this episode, Larry, is uh, do a little bit of Q&A. Um, but uh, it, it just occurred to me, um, <laughs> as I was about to just get right into um, to one of our supporter questions, uh, we, we've had a couple people asking us and, and asking Jack um, where we're going to be over the next few months oh, for, yeah. for uh, appearances, um, appearances and, and stuff. We're both going to be at Liberty Con. Okay. Okay. So, so we're going to be in Liberty Con. That is June 22nd through 24th or 5th, something like that. So anyway. June 22nd-ish, we're going to be in Liberty Con. That's in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So if you happen to be an attendee, uh, Larry and I are going to be there. We're going to be bringing some newfangled uh, uh, recording equipment. Going to do some some interviews and stuff uh, with some random people. Blah, blah, blah. Probably anyway, writers. You know, mostly writers. Um, probably not the random homeless guys on the street. Though, if we do come across someone who makes really good Nashville hot chicken, we'll probably interview them. Well, there's a cake place next door, too. There's a cake place? Oh, dude. Dude, the City Cafe? Is it has good? the best cakes. Dope. You, you got to understand, when Larry and I go to cons, we're, one of our first goals is to find really good food. <laughs> that, oh, that, yeah. That, that, that's one of our main things. Um, and both of our wives are going to be in attendance. Yes. Right? Bridget's going, right? Yeah, she's, she is, I yeah. believe. Yeah, yes. So if you were a, uh, a loyal listener of Rider Dojo 2.0 and you, and you heard uh, both of the, the lovely Mrs. Curry and Mrs. Diamond talking, um, yeah, both of them are going to be there. Go up and say hi to them. They're, they're, they're super cool. You know that's going to be our most popular episode of the year. You know it is. Yeah. Good grief. Yeah, we can't compete. No. All right. Uh, and then we are also going to be at a little one-day con here in Utah. I believe it's in July. It's the Writer's Cantina. Yes. Um, we did this con uh, because we're, we're kind of sort of involved in it from a, from a more fundamental perspective. But we're doing this con because there just aren't enough good conventions here in Utah that haven't completely gone dumb and woke. So this is just basically kind of a fun writer hangout. It is. It is. It's a one day thing this year. The goal for next year is for it to be a two day. And we're, we're hopeful that it can kind of grow and, and become um, a replacement con for a lot of the ones that have evaporated over the years here in Utah or that just don't actually seem to give a crap. Um, and then we were going to be at Fanex, but... We might not be anymore. I'm not sure what's going on right now because the person who we usually would do like book sales through is gone. Yeah. The, the, so the, we were in, we were in this, this booth called the Bard's Tower and that's where you came and you saw us signing books. Yeah, that doesn't exist now. anymore. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, me, you and, uh, and Jack have talked a little bit about, you know, perhaps doing our own little booth here and there. But frankly, I just don't know that uh, this year's the right year for it. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I talked to a lot of people at Fanex, but I also don't have to deal with any of the logistics of selling books, and I just yeah. get to hang out and talk to people. Exactly. And talk to fans all day. Because uh, I'm not I'm not a bookseller, guys. I'm a writer. <laughs> right. And and so it's, if we did do something, if we did do a booth, and, and we're kind of throwing the idea around for, for next year, uh, 
it would be like me, Larry, maybe Butler, maybe Chris Rocchio, you know, basically a bunch of band guys um, to just to just sit in a, and basically call it the writer dojo booth. Just sit there, let people come in and, and buy books from us. Um, we'll see. Uh, but as it stands right now, we're probably not going to be at Fanex. Yeah, I'm not sure as of right now. Yeah. I, I, um, and then I assume you're going to 20 books at the end of the year. I believe so. Okay. <laughs> yeah. If I, because I, I, I got an invite to Mike Rothman's D and D game. Oh right, you know right, I, right, I got right. I got to make that. No, but I, I I believe so right now. But my weird my year has been weird. So yeah, and so I, I we just don't know. So for sure, uh, Liberty Con in Chattanooga, and then um, the Writers Cantina, which is a local Utah con, and there still are slots open for that. Well, and I'm doing Dragon Con next year, but that's it's the 40th anniversary of oh. uh, of Bane Books, so they're going to try to do a next big year. that makes sense big turnout for us there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not doing Gen Con this year, unfortunately. I love Gen Con. I love spending money at Gen Con. But when you're unemployed, you don't have a lot of money. So, yeah. Yep. Uh, okay. So anyway, that's where we're going to be. Um, yeah. All right. So back to the, the actual importance of this episode. Questions from our supporters. Now, some of these, most of these are going to be from supporters. There might be a few in here that are from people who aren't supporters, but... Um, we always answer supporter questions first, and you can become a supporter by going to, uh, I think it was Anchor, but I think Anchor got bought out by Spotify at the beginning of the year. So um, whatever, it, it should be the same, basically the same process. Go over there. You can support us with, you know, from anywhere from a buck to five bucks to 10 bucks to whatever. Uh, and all that money, we really appreciate it. We put it to use. We actually reinvest it back into the podcast. Um, well, this year we're actually buying a bunch of yeah, equipment we're, to we're take buying, on the road. We're buying a couple thousand dollars of equipment. Well, we actually got a, a membership for software so that we can yep. have call-ins yep. that actually we can record call-in guests and they sound good. Yeah. And so th- this is important. And this is because of you guys, our supporters. Uh, and of course, perks. Um, I, I was actually chatting with a guy last night who's one of our supporters who um, uh, he bought a copy of What Hellhounds Dream from me and, and wants me to send it to him. So I am. Uh, but he, he, he tipped me a little bit extra on top of it. And I said, sweet, this will go towards brisket. And he said, no, 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 that's for a murder battle princess. And I was like, okay, <laughs> all right. So, um, so as far as Ryder Dojo perks go, that, that story might be coming a little sooner than, than any of us thought. All right. Q and a, this one's from our supporter, Michaela or Mikola. I don't know how it's pronounced. Sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, we both speak two languages and one of them is sort of English. All right. How can an author get his or her book published worldwide, especially in non-English speaking countries? Can I, as a reader, help certain authors to be translated and published in my country? Because even though I don't have a problem reading and enjoying stories in English, it's always more comfortable to read in my native language. And... I would also like to see Steve's books alongside Larry's on the bookshelves in my country. Well, thank you, because I would totally like to see that too. That's an interesting one, because um, I, I am translated into a few different foreign languages. Um, okay, so first off, the, it's uh, two different ways to do this. First off, if you're traditionally published and you've signed your rights over to your publishing house, they will usually have a foreign agent 
uh, who they sell, and this is considered one of the ancillary rights. We've talked about ancillary rights before, yeah. that your publishing house will then try to sell the rights to translate your book into that language to a publishing house in that country. Right. Uh, like I have a Czech publisher. In fact, I was just uh, yesterday, I, I zo- or Saturday, I zoomed in for their Comic Con. Oh, that's right. Yeah, for because they actually just did a, um, a a collection of Czech authors wrote Monster Hunter International stories set in Czechia. See, that's dope. It was pretty dope. I don't know any other authors who ever do anything like that before. Uh-huh. And uh, so I, I was there for the christening, and actually they pour champagne on the books at at Comic Con there in, in Prague. Um, so in that case, it. Bayon sold the rights to Phantom, which is mm-hmm. in his Monster Hunter International. Phantom is what it's called over there. Um, and so that is one way to do it. The other way is if you own the rights yourself, if you've retained the rights or if you're independent and you still have your foreign translation rights, then you shop it to publishers there. Or you can actually hire a uh, translator. And there are different people out there who sell their services as professional translators in those countries. And then you can indie publish your book in that country. You know, it's really interesting. I was having a conversation with Rothman about this. Yeah, because he does it quite a bit. He does. And he does quite well in other countries. Uh, Germany, Germany especially. He does well. Germany, okay, whenever you're translating a book, uh, there's a couple things to keep in mind. One, what does the market in in said country look like? Um, Different countries have... um, let's call it different things that they, they really like to focus on. Germany, for example, has just this like passionate love affair with thrillers of, of all shapes and sizes. They love crime. They love true crime. They love thrillers. They love supernatural thrillers. Uh, Dan Wells did pretty exceptionally well. Yeah, He did for a long time. He was killing it. Yeah. He was killing, no pun intended with his book. I'm not a serial killer. Um, and, and so Rothman and I were talking about this because the series of books that we're writing together are going to be, uh, we're going to translate them right away into German. Because the original books of the series have done extremely well in They've Germany. They've done extremely right. well. Um, so it, it's really interesting because one of the things he and I talked about was, uh, and you kind of don't think about this, one, not all books should be translated into foreign languages because it's not fiscally responsible of you to do so. Well, it's, it's an expense that you're taking uh, to do it. And if there's not a return on it, as a writer, you guys, you should never do something with a negative return on investment. Yeah. Unless there's like a really good reason to. Yeah. You know, like, uh, but but honestly, that's, the, yeah, that could be just a loser. Like, for example, there are no translations of Monster Hunter International into Spanish, uh, which is weird, but that's just one of the markets hmm. that has not... Jumped, and I was asking about that one time. I was like, "So we have all these European languages. How come you know not Spanish?" And the thing from the foreign agent was at the time was like, "Well, that's usually because they don't like urban fantasy. They like magical realism." That actually makes a lot of sense. I was like, "What's the difference?" And and, and I wasn't really sure. <laughs> uh, one's more contemplative. Yeah, um, magic realism tends to be much more contemplative. And, there you go. Um, and it's 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 a much more literary function. No one has accused me of being con- no. It's, <laughs> contemplative. It's, it's, it's the navel gazy version of urban fantasy. Yeah, I'm more the shoot shoot the yeah. navel. So. This is like you know, Cienanos de Soledad and stuff like that. You know, yeah, from, yeah. From yeah. So Garcia Marquez. So make sure too before you investigate this authors that it's something that will actually be worth it to you. Well, and and from one of the things that I talked about with Rothman, um, it's. It's and and we'll get we'll get Mike on at some point. And he can he can expound on this far more eloquently than I can. But uh, it's you seriously get what you pay for 
when it comes to translation to translation services because they aren't doing a one-to-one translation they're actually translating the book contextually as well yeah in fact um Sometimes I'll get a message. Uh, so uh, Jakob uh, is my translator in, in the Czech Republic and good dude. He was my tour guide when I was over there uh, and just a good dude, uh, a writer on his own also. Hmm. Uh, uh, and so he actually writes uh, sci-fi and fantasy. Did he, did he give a story to the Antho? Yeah, he is. Dope. In fact, that was the one that was translated into English by him to kick over to me, oh, which I just got. That's awesome. Yeah, so I haven't read it yet. I'm very excited. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but so he is, has, there's been times where he's actually emailed me and he said, okay, so in this one, you use this American colloquial idiom that there is no translation yeah. in Czech. I mean, there is nothing that makes sense. So like, what are you going for here? And I'm like, oh. well, in American English, it means this, this, and this. Okay, we have something similar. We say it kind of sort of like this. Yeah, because yeah. most cultures will have some sort of um, touch. But, but keep in mind, like, like, guys, a lot of our American idioms are unique to us. They aren't going to translate. They just aren't because they, there's, no, there's no equivalent. Yeah. And just for, just for hard numbers, um, this is what Rothman gave me. It was, um, it's three to five grand to get a good translation. That okay. sounds pretty pretty cheap. And that's actually uh, well, it's cheap, but if you're an indie author, right, right, right. Like especially if you're just starting out, that's pretty wicked expensive. Oh yeah, oh gosh, especially if you don't know you're going to get mm-hmm. that return. Now, yeah, it's quite a few copies you got to sell. Yeah, now the interesting thing is um he and I've been talking about getting translations of Residue in the sequel uh Parasite uh over in German and French and so on and so forth. But we're waiting. We're trying to make sure that we that with all of these thrillers that we're putting together that uh, we can build up an audience in those languages so that as as the, the person who asked the question, you know, they can start seeing my books on bookshelves. Yeah. I can actually do better in France I, than I do in Germany. Like, oh, I, interesting. I mean, I've, I've sold Monster Hunter in Germany, but, uh, but France, uh, Grim Noir was huge. Interesting. Uh, they love the noir. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And oh, that so, actually makes a ton so of sense. So Hard Magic actually did extremely good. In fact, that was when I was up for their best novel award. Uh, yeah. Their, I think it was the Verlanger, I think. Oh. Uh, but I was up for that. And uh, I lost, but it was, I, was no, I was one of the finalists for best novel. Nice. And also Son of the Black Sword's done pretty good over there too. Hmm. Yeah. All right. This is from our boy, Rick. Uh, hey, Rick. He says, what kind of word count should we shoot for? If we want to bundle all of our short stories together and make an anthology. No. Okay. So that would be a collection. Mm-hmm. Uh, anthology is when you, and I just learned this because I edited them and Tony had to correct me because I got this wrong too. A collection is when it's all your stories. An anthology is when it's stories of other people put together. Oh, I didn't know that either. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's why she owns a publishing house and we don't. Okay. So on that one. It can kind of be anywhere. Okay, because that's the thing, because I've got two volumes so far of how, mine. How big is Target Rich 1 and 2 each? Uh, 120,000, I think. Okay. So. I, I think Hellhounds is not 80 or 90. Yeah. I would assume it's going to probably be predicated upon like what your regular genre is and how thick of books they're used to for that. Mm-hmm. Would make sense. So if you're doing more YA, then I would assume it would be shorter. shorter. Horror might be shorter. Sure. Um, 
like my most of my readers are coming. They're used to me writing 120, 140,000 word books. So it fits on the bookshelf in the same space. Yeah, basically. so it's about the same thickness yeah. as the other ones. Basically, yeah. I think maybe they might be over just over. Uh, between 100 and 120, I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, and I just kind of, whatever the word count was that Tony gave me, and I just kind of like shoved stories in and moved them around until they fit. Okay, so that's the next question from him. How do you arrange the order for the short stories? Oh, that's actually a really good question. Okay, so this one is, I like to vary them thematically. Okay. Okay, so, or also or genre. And so... What I'll do is like, if I have a couple Monster Hunter ones that are related, I'll go boom, Monster Hunter, Monster Hunter, but then I'm going to go something entirely different. I'm going to do something different. For contrast. Yeah. Then go, well, here's a horror story. Here's a comedy story, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, here's a sci-fi story. Uh, but I would, I did, I, I, I would put some by each other if it was pertinent, like they were, like they made sense in that context. Um, and then each one I've closed with Tom Stranger just because I wanted to leave him laughing. <laughs> Oh, that'll do it. Okay. Uh, if some of the stories have recurring characters, should they be ordered together or sprinkled throughout the anthology? M- my opinion on this, I don't think there's a wrong way for this. Yeah. Uh, my opinion is I would put them together. But uh, that, I, that's just me. That's just because that's how I would like to read it. I would probably put them together um, just to me because that way I got the reader into this one world and they're recalling the books, hopefully, in a fond way. And then it's like Monster Hunter, Monster Hunter. And it's comfortable. Yeah. It's comfortable, you know. So so say it was a Bubba Shackelford story. Okay, you have one. And then let's say right after that Bubba Shackelford story, we do Father's Day, the, the story that of yours that I always rave about. Yeah, horror. Horror, which is completely thematically different. And then the story right after that is Bubba Shackelford again. It's like... It's like you're being rubber banded, kind of whiplashed yeah. in and out of that, no, of that. That's why I would be inclined stuff. to put like with like. Yeah, yeah. And then after that, I'm going to jump between world and world and theme and theme. Yeah. Now, like I said, I wouldn't put like and like with like, I wouldn't go horror, horror, horror. Unless, Probably not. Unless they were directly related to each other. Yeah. Or unless, you know, it's it's me and all of them are horror. Plus, honestly, most, well, that's true because you're writing a horror collection. <laughs> the thing about collections, too, is don't forget, and also anthologies, is that readers tend to jump around. So there'll be the, the, there'll be the order that you planned. It's not necessarily the order because a lot of, most people will go through and they'll pick their favorites. Well, or, or there's there's some there's some story within that collection that they're that they were like really looking forward to. Uh-huh. So, well, and and a lot of times what we do with collections is it's a whole bunch of stuff that we've put together. Uh, it's the same thing with like greatest hits collections from 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 artists, right? Um, it's it's like 10, 15 whatever stories or songs, and then there's the one new one. Yep. And a lot of people are going to skip to that one first because it's the new thing. And when it's an anthology, not a collection, and you've got various authors, what do people do? They open the book and they go to their favorite author To their author favorite first. author. Yep. Yeah. I had a lot of people with the noir anthologies. They're going to go right to Laurel K. Hamilton. In fact, I was reading reviews for um, for the first Noir Fatale anthology today, and, and that was what I noticed. It was a lot of people said, oh, yeah, I bought this to, to, to read Laurel's story. In fact, a few of the reviews said, I only read Laurel's story in this. Which is kind of a bummer for the rest of us. I mean, but, it's kind of a bummer for about I mean, Thank you for purchasing I mean, it. I, it all pays the same. I mean, uh, the authors still get a royalty cut, so yeah, that's cool. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to hit a couple more questions. We'll be right back. A lone boy, orphaned by the Nazis and imprisoned in a concentration camp. 
a dragon-like being elected to the leadership of the galactic government. What do these two beings have in common? Why would they meet in one of the most war-torn regions of Earth? What will it mean for Earth and for the galaxy? Will this be one of the greatest friendships in galactic history or the death of us all? Blood Brothers Meetings by Stephanie Osborne, a first-in-series spinoff of the Division One series. Available May 1st. Pick up your copy today. All right, everybody, welcome back. Had some good questions on that front half. Okay, second half. Uh, We've got one from David here. He says, hey, guys, I've had some short stories published in the last few years, including one in Space Cowboys, which is the, you know, the the Law Dogs Press, right? Yeah, Raconteur Raconteur Press, Press, yeah. Uh, And he says, I'm getting fairly comfortable with the short story structure and format. Cool. But I've had several other authors suggest I go for a full novel. Makes sense. He says, my question is this, other than adding more words, I did air quotes there. What are some of the differences when planning and writing content so much longer than for a short story? In other words, like you've been writing short stories. What do you do to write a novel other than we'll just make it bigger? Uh, first off, I'd say go back in time uh, on Writer Dojo because we do actually have a whole episode about uh, short fiction versus long, pros and cons of each, uh, because it's not just adding more words. No, it's very not. Very not. Because uh, a short story is actually, at its very core, a fundamentally different kind of exercise. Uh, you, you're getting in, getting out, you're telling the scene, you're telling one chunk of a story, right? Mm-hmm. The novel's the story. And so... Different levels of planning. I mean, and that gets into, uh, listen to the episode about uh, discovery writing versus outlining. Yes. Uh, because like I discovery write short stories all the time. Yeah. I do not discovery write novels. Right. A novel for me takes a lot more planning. Uh, so so it's going to be basically stop and think about what you're trying to accomplish with the novel. What's the story you want to tell and how you're going to go about it. It takes a lot more planning. It takes more thought. Yeah. Um, Honestly, if you want to think of it this way, it's, it's basically a novel is basically 20 interconnected short stories. It really is. I mean, we, we, we talked about this a little bit with Chris uh, Rocchio the other day, too. And that's that um, when you're approaching a short story. Now, he's crazy. He outlines his short stories. He's a weirdo. But, uh, you know, it's one scene, you know. Uh, although if, if it's a little bit longer of a, sh- of a short story, if that makes any sense to you. Um, it, it's a couple scenes that interconnect. So it's that principle though, right? You know, it's, there's, there's one through arc for your story, just one. Yeah. Whereas for a novel, like, like when we were planning instruments of violence, we were talking about, okay, so we have Alarian's arc and we have Natalia's arc and we have Amos's arc and we have Kristoff's arc, but then they're all talking about, you know, what are the gods doing at this same time? And then what is Nicodemus doing at the same time? And he's a dirt bag. So we got to make sure he's a dirt bag. And, and you're juggling seven, eight, 10, 12 different balls at the same time. Whereas when I wrote the short story that's in the first noir fatale anthology, um, that was, there's one idea basically. And it was, oh, all these people are after this MacGuffin. Yeah. So you're juggling a couple balls. Yeah. You're not juggling eight balls. Yeah. But even in the novel, you're not usually juggling eight balls in one scene. 
Oh, no, no, hardly ever. <laughs> you know? so Well, well never, really. Honestly, I, I, I think the biggest thing to, between the two is planning mm-hmm. and then focus and what your focus is. And then the other one, too, is uh, be aware of how much more of a time sacrifice uh, and commitment it is to finish a novel versus a short story. Yeah, it's a lot. Uh, it's a lot. Don't get me wrong. I love people writing short stories as a way to learn to write, but you need to realize that the effort that you put in to write that short story is a fraction of what it takes to write the novel. Yeah. And that's there's nothing wrong with that. That said, you make a lot more money off novels. Yeah, always. All right. This one's from Keith. Uh, and I, and I'm to be frank, I'm not sure if Keith is a supporter or not, but um, – he, uh, he asks a really, really interesting question, um, and it's several paragraphs, but I'm going to kind of squish this down a little bit. Sure. Basically, it all comes down to this. Um, what do you do if a publisher drops you? Whew. Now, he specifically mentioned it in context of um, what happens if a publisher drops you mid-series. We know guys that's happened to. We know uh, several, several guys. I've never had that happen. Um, so like, this is not speaking from personal. I've sort of had it happen. You've kind of had it happen through not, I mean, for publisher. They didn't quite drop me. Business I, okay, issues. I've never been dropped. Um, I've just, you know, had the entire publisher go out of business Yeah, for dishonesty. So same, same, same aftermath though, I guess. Um, yeah. okay. If you get dropped by a publisher, first off is don't let it get you down. Yeah. Um, don't take it personal. The, okay. It, it's very, it's very different in today's world than this was say 10, 15 years ago. If yeah. you got dropped 10, 15 years ago, uh, I mean, just to be frank, you were hosed. Yeah. Well, Cause back in the olden days, it was a little more that they had the thing where they were going to invest in the author. Yeah. And so they give you a chance, right? They would let you develop over time. They expected you to take a few books to get your feet under you and really get good at your thing. You know, they picked you up cause they thought you had potential. Uh, now for most publishing houses, this earn or burn. It's mm-hmm. like you, you, and in some of these publishing houses, like there's, they just, they suck and they're evil because they'll hire, uh, they'll pick up an author, give them a contract and then just throw it at the wall to see if it sticks. It's, they'll, that's very, very prevalent in the YA world. And if it don't stick, buy. If, if it, yeah, if it doesn't, if it doesn't get optioned immediately to be a movie, they give you nothing. Yeah, they're horrible people. Yeah. Um, so honestly, like I said, so if you get dropped, don't take it personal. We know some guys that are great authors. I mean, shoot, John, John Brown. Oh yeah. John Brown is a fantastic author. Like John is a really good writer. Like, like Mike, Mike Haspel. Oh, Mike Haspel, great writer. Yep. We, we know so many dudes who are good writers. And if they had been, their careers had been 10, 15 years ago, they would still be at the same publishing house. Cause that publishing house would have given them a chance to develop with, it. With, you know, probably really long series by now. But some of these though, they, they, so like I said, don't take it personal. Publishers suck. A lot well, of publishers suck. And, and, and there's so many different factors, right? I mean, there's so many different factors that can, especially these days that can impact whether or not a publisher is going to drop you. A lot of times, yeah, it, it's, it's pure, well, it's pure red and black on a, well, on a, some, on a balance sheet. Some of right? it's not even that. It's just flavor of the month. Some of it's flavor of the and month. And they're, they're a bunch of, the publishers are a bunch of friggin' hacks and yeah. they don't care. Or, they don't give a crap about anything yeah. that makes sense. They didn't care some of these guys about sales. They, it's they, just, they fit, you know, you as the author fit their diversity quota for the month, last yeah. month, but this month 
you don't. You don't. And so it's they don't funny because it's the, the most shallow, bigoted people in the world are Manhattan Publishing who yeah. like to talk about how diverse and wonderful and awesome and loving and caring. They're not. No, they don't give a crap. They're just, can they brag about you at a dinner party? No, these are the same people that called you and I Nazis. Yeah. And then don't worry, the week later, whatever demographic you were that was cool to brag about, they found a new one. Yeah. And now you're out. Yep. Sorry. And they'll throw you in the garbage. And we've seen them do it, guys. Yeah. So, okay, so there's that end. There's the emotional end. Don't take it personal. Don't get let it get you down. Business, guys, if you're in a relationship with a publisher, the main thing is cover your butt. You're in it to win it for yourself. Mm-hmm. You're in a partnership with this publishing house. And if they treat you with respect and business is good and you got a good return on your investment for both of you, awesome, win-win, keep going. And if not... Get what you can out of it. Like, so while they're promoting you, while they're getting you in bookstores, hopefully they're spending marketing money on you. Capitalize. Capitalize. Use that to develop your personal fan base. If they drop you after that, take as much of that fan base with you as you can. That's the key. So they they boot you. You know what? Hey, if you got a few thousand readers that you developed from that previous business relationship, Figure out how you can reach out to them. I mean, I, I say all authors should have a mailing list. All authors should have some form of internet uh, persona that people can find them, connect with, and know what you got coming next. And then go back to being independent and get back to work. Now, it isn't completely unheard of for um, an author midstream to switch publishers. I mean, heck, we just had Chris Rocky on. Yep. And he didn't switch publishers from one series to the next like like Brian McClellan did. Okay, Brian, Brian he had six books published with Orbit, uh, his Powder Mage series. For his new series, he left and he went to tour. Uh, and his new, oh, something, Lightning, Shadow of Lightning, something like that for his new book, which supposedly is excellent. Um, you know, whole different series is now at a new publisher. That's not what we're talking about. Chris Rocchio, he was with Daw for five books mm-hmm. and then Daw basically was like yeah eh, we don't really want to publish anything else of anyone's anymore because we're weird and we got bought up by the chinese communist party so um so chris was like Thanks, you know Pat what Rothfuss. yeah so chris was like screw you guys so he left uh and and he approached tony because he already had a relationship with tony because remember chris used to work at bain um and and Tony, well, one, it's not hard to pick up Chris Rocchio because his books are freaking awesome. Really, guys, you should read them. Um, but so mid-series, his books are now published with Bain. Um, and and the, the earlier ones are not being published with Bain. They're, they're sticking with Daw until I, I imagine at some point he's going to get all of his rights back and they'll probably end up backlisting and, and publishing with Bain, right? Yeah. But, uh, and I hope that that happens actually for him. So anyway, it can happen, but I think the more, the more likely avenue is what you're talking about, Larry, where you just go independent. Now in that, in that scenario, if you can get your rights back to the earlier books, that's going to make it easier for you because you can always, um, you can always go back and do some fine tuning on the initial books and release author editions. John Brown. John Brown did that. John Brown, Servant of Dark God, came out through Tor. They jerked him around. Mm -hmm. Uh, he wound up breaking the contract, got his right back, rights back, redid the books as he originally as wanted he originally to do them, them. Yep. and self-published them. Well, and, and frankly, uh, and this is the first time that any of you guys are hearing this, but, um, I'm doing the same thing with residue. 
So I pulled my rights from Residue from uh, and for the sequel Parasite from Wordfire Press. Not because of anything like anything malicious with Kevin. I freaking love Kevin Anderson. Um, and he was a freaking saint to work with with all this and, and and honestly i think he kind of saved my career a little bit um but anyway uh, i'm pulling them because i wanted to take a little bit more ownership of everything that has to do with them and me and rothman are kind of are kind of noodling on on how to, to capitalize on that because i really respect rothman's opinion on this well if you're doing indie stuff with a guy who's on top of the heap in indie and you've got a perfectly good product that fits yeah. right in like the indie line that he is doing yeah m- maybe i should listen you know? Yeah. Well, who a guy who has been working that system rather well. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm going to be doing the exact same thing. I'm going to, I'm going to go back. I'm going to, it's not going to change the story in any fundamental way. It's the exact same story. I'm just going to tweak a couple things for the sake of clarity and consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, but what that allows me to do is, is point to people and say, Hey, look, if you want to see kind of my, my new current Steve take, on what this story is, pick up the new version. It's going to be rad. Director's cut. The director's cut. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. This one's from Jared. I just finished writing my first novel and I'm wondering how I should go about approaching people to read an early version and write blurbs for me. Hmm. So how do I get blurbs? Um, part of it, when you're traditionally published, a lot of this is, some of that is the job of the publisher. It's schmoozing. They, they connect you. Right. Yeah. The publisher will be like, Hey, um, we've Larry, we've got this guy. Uh, we think you'd really like his book. We think your fans would really like his book. Would you like, and we're publishing it in you know six months. Would you like to read an early copy and give us some feedback? Uh, and I, when I can, I do my problem is lack of reading time. Um, but like I, I, I plugged uh, Tim Akers a little while mm, ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wraithbound. Yeah. 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 Well, actually, I actually read um, his previous series. Uh, is that the Valhallians? Yeah. That one. And and so I read the first one of that. And it was very good, and I really enjoyed it. And so I I, I plugged him. Uh, plus, that one had kind of like the Monster Hunter vibe. Oh right, right. Uh, I have not read Wraithbound, but Wraithbound looks wicked. The cover's really That's the good. Best cover. I've, that cover it's is so, so good. good. Wraithbound by Tim Akers. Yeah. Um, check it out. But good author. I haven't read Wraithbound yet, but I heard it's excellent. Um, but there's different authors that I've given blurbs to over the years, but a lot of times people I know. Mm-hmm. Guys, don't be offended, though, if you ask a famous author, hey, like, hey can you blurb me? Because honestly, guys, we get asked so very much. Yeah. Um, and we just can't. There's just, there's just no way. We just don't have the time. Um, believe me, we'd love if we could, but most of us don't have reading time, you know, because we edit all day, so our, we don't read much. We don't read as much as we want to anymore. Now, if you're independent, um, it, it's up to you. Y- you have to approach the authors yourselves. Um, hopefully, you've you've made some sort of connection with them in the past. It's 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 really hard to cold contact some rando author and say, "Hey, um, it'd be like me approaching Dan Simmons." Okay, Dan Simmons doesn't know me from Adam, right? And and saying, "Hey, Dan, uh, you don't know me, and I've written this random book. Do you can you read it and see if you'd give me a blurb?" Probably not. And Dan Simmons is like, well, you and 500 other other guys have asked me for right. a blurb. And no. Um, when I got my blurb from Terry Brooks, it was because I'd met him at dinner. Um, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd been set up through a mutual acquaintance and we, we all went out to dinner together. And 
uh, and I was talking with Terry and, and I grew up reading Terry. And so he and I were chatting and he's we were having, such a, he's, he's a, such a sweet, he's one guy. of the freaking nicest guys on, he's the, such a nice on guy. the dang planet. And, and I said, Hey, um, can I send you my book and, and maybe you can read it and, and, and if you like it, that's awesome. I didn't even ask for a blurb. He said, yeah, send me your book. I'd love to read it. So I sent it to him. And then I saw him months later uh, and he remembered me and, somehow. And he, and I said, oh, I, well, I hope you like the book. He's like, yeah, I love the book. Didn't I tell you this? I'm like, no, <laughs> I, I would have remembered if Terry Brooks told me love my book. Um, and then I asked him if, because he was already enthusiastic. We were already talking and we had that connection. And I said, well, could you write me a blurb? And he said, yeah, absolutely. Connections matter. And, and we've talked about this. We, we did a networking um, yeah. uh, networking episode. I would actually say that's a good one to go back and yep. listen to on this topic. Other thing to keep in mind too is there's basically two kinds of blurbs. There's the blurb for a specific book and there's a blurb for a specific author. Yeah. Now I have done some where I have, because in good conscience, I couldn't do a blurb for the book. I just didn't have a chance to read it. However, I had read other books by that author and I liked him. So in that case, I'll do a blurb about the author. Sure. Like so-and-so is a really good writer and he does this and this and this really good. Yeah. Also, I suck at blurbs. So what I usually do personally is I will tell the author my feelings uh-huh. and I'll be like, I'll write him like a paragraph and I'll say this, 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 and this, and I like this and this was cool. And then I'll let them rearrange it however they want to for marketing purposes and then kick it back to me and say, does this look like, and I like, I would totally say that. Yep. Boom. I've done that because (laughs) I honestly, guys, and I've said this before on the show, I suck at blurbs. I suck at back cover copy. Pithy stuff is not my wheelhouse. Yep. And I recognize my weakness. All right. We, We have one more question, but you know- it's talking about starting a book. Oh. And, and honestly... This is one, yeah, we were going to do a whole... You this know, is... I, I think what we should do, Larry, is our, our episode after this one, let's just do one about first chapters. Opening chapters. Yeah, because I, I think that'll answer this question. This is from a guy named Jason. Um, our next episode then, instead of answering this, because this is kind of a big deal, um, we will we'll just tackle that as a topic. Sound good? So, Jason... To be continued. Dun, dun, dun. All right. That's all the time we have for you today. Thank you guys so much for being supporters of the Writer Dojo. We love you all. Especially you, Rick. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) this is the Writer Dojo. We'll see you on the next one. Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Correa. Produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries by Craig Nibo. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writer dojo, by leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. Pithy stuff is not in my wheelhouse. Yeah.